This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 22, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Following the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, it's worth examining what special legal protections police have when they're accused of misconduct. In more than a dozen states, laws on the books include a wish list of special privileges known as the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights. Cato's Walter Olson explains how they work and how they often stymie efforts to hold police accountable. Walter, uh, when we think about criminal justice and the protections that we have for criminal justice, it seems that in many states and localities, police have what I can't term as anything else, special rights. When police are accused of misconduct in many parts of the country, they have all sorts of rights that would not be extended to you and I if we were accused of a crime or if we were accused of some misconduct by our employer uh, that was thinking of firing us. So what do these look like and how widespread are these so-called law enforcement officers' bill of rights? About 16 states have law enforcement officers' bill of rights, and the details vary from one to the next, but some of the typical features are rules on how officers can be interviewed if they are suspected of misconduct. Uh, Often there is a delay, a so-called cooling-off period, really silly term, uh, in which they can't begin to ask them questions about what went wrong uh, for five days or 10 days after the incident. Now, obviously, that's not something that controls ordinary employers, and it's not something that controls ordinary interrogations. They have other rights, too. For example, uh, they may have a right to be interviewed only by one interviewer at a time. Now, Everything I know about interrogation suggests that there's a reason why multiple interviewers are often used. You get more information out of people. Uh, you can use special techniques. Uh, you can uh, you know, draw the person's emotions in the right direction by using two interviews. Nope, not if it's police in these states. Uh, in fact, they know the best interrogation techniques, and they're careful to rule them off the table in some of these laws. So this cooling off period that we see in law enforcement officers' bill of rights, I can understand uh, how a cop would want my freshest, uh, most clear, even if, uh, you know, moments after the heat of an event to uh, get my words on paper uh, to understand at least initial thoughts about what had occurred Uh, with a cooling off period for police. It, lo- it sounds a lot like we need to give these guys some time to make sure all of their stories match up. Is that, is that a uh, cynical view? That's not just a cynical way of looking at it. It's a pretty realistic way of looking at it because uh, there's a lot of evidence, and you can see this, that after uh, there's been some violence, after there's been a crime scene, that the police gather at. Of course, they want immediate interviews. Uh, it's not as if people aren't sometimes confused in the aftermath, but you can always interview them four days later, too, and see if the, uh, there's anything new that they have to say then. But at the scene is when they have the coordinated stories, memories are still fresh. The information that you get there, whether it leads you to more witnesses or whether it leads you to physical evidence, um, may get you information that would have vanished if you gave it another week before you figured out 
who you should be interviewing next or what evidence you should look for. So, of course, when they are trying to solve crimes, uh, immediate interviews on the scene are a very, very important tool. Now, the cooling off period uh, is important partly because it means that uh, the union officer can get in there and kind of prepare the case, uh, figure out what questions should not be answered in, in certain ways. Uh, but also, of course, when there's an event with more than one officer, as many excessive force uh, happenings will you know, tend to be, if only because other officers show up on the scene after the first use of force, um, in those cases, it's especially important. Uh, now, if you or I have been in an accident uh, where there's potential blame or guilt, uh, we may be familiar with being drawn aside to be interviewed separately from other people who um, might have different stories. Um, again, uh, that waiting period uh, allows for the stories to be coordinated. What are some of the other bennies that are typically associated with uh LEO, Law Enforcement Officers, Bill of Rights? There are time periods, strict time periods, often for uh, when complaints have to be filed against officers and how long um, can go by after which they can't act, even if they've got good evidence of misconduct. Uh, so uh, in Maryland, for example, for many types of offense, if word comes in, if word comes to the notice of the police department more than one year after the misconduct, they can't act on it, even to suspend or fire the uh, officer, no matter how good the evidence is. Now, obviously, these are not protections that you or I would get working at an ordinary workplace, uh, and nor are most statutes of limitations for actual crimes uh, necessarily that short either. So you've got, uh, with excessive force, uh, it, uh, the requirement was that um, uh, the complainant, and they narrowed down who the complainant could be, uh, for uh, in the early years, uh, it had to be a notarized statement by the person who had been beaten up, who might be in a hospital room, who might be in jail, who might find it hard to find a notary for other reasons. Uh, they've liberalized it a little bit uh, in Maryland, but still... Um, you can't just have your lawyer bring in the statement uh, often. Uh, you need someone who uh, is um, uh, willing to score at a complaint like in the first 90 days. Now, again, uh, law enforcement in general is not restrained by that way. If, if a complaint comes in uh, of unnecessary violence and it's 120 days after the event, uh, the, com the investigation is not dead. You know, they get to investigate it. But again, police... Um, when they can pass these laws, set themselves up uh, with arbitrary uh, barriers to um, uh, proving against them things that they may have done. Now, when you get to really bad laws of this sort, like Florida's, you find that the information that has to be handed over to the uh, uh, officer under investigation uh, isn't just, uh, for example, exculpatory information. And it's fair, and it's generally agreed to be fair, that if there's if the police department is in possession of some evidence that makes the officer look more innocent, that yes, they should hand that over. No real controversy there. But in Florida, they get all of the files, all of the witness interviews, uh, and incriminating evidence is not handed over in most investigations for a very good reason, which is you don't want to find out the limits of the evidence against you so that you can tailor your story. Um, when police can read uh, all of the evidence in the file before they have to uh, come back with all of their defense, uh, it's 
uh, it's it's deliberately handicapping the course of justice. Yeah, you can imagine, like if I knew uh, the set of facts that would be used to convict me of a crime in court, then I could plausibly weave a story that fit those facts and also exonerated me, I would do that. Like, no question. You would weave a story uh, around the available evidence, and you might be delighted to surprise, oh, wait a minute, no one was watching when I such and such. So your plan to admit that you did such and such, you could revise that plan because they don't happen to have a witness who saw you doing that. So I can understand how uh, police unions would want these protections uh, built in for cops, but I could also see uh, unions maybe not wanting to see these things put into statute. That is to say, what good am I as a, as your union? What additional value do I deliver as your union if these things have been statutorily adopted rather than adopted through a contract with a local police department. So why has this been put into statute? Are unions generally uh, pushing for this sort of thing? Yes, unions are pushing for it. And I think their view is that uh, it doesn't just make them uh, superfluous. Uh, It enables them to negotiate for even further uh, uh, protections in the investigatory process. And in Maryland, for example, the Baltimore Police Union has managed to secure uh, uh, additional provisions in its union contract going even further than the state law. So that gives them a floor to negotiate from. Uh, They will typically get something in negotiation uh, if they try for it. And so it means that management uh, is unable to argue for what you or I might view as good practice, but that's already off the table. And now the question is what further uh, concessions management's going to have to make. Okay. So uh, which states have these? And uh, uh, if you can, along what time frame have they been adopted? I, the first time I think I ever heard of anything like this was in uh, the late 90s. But the laws began earlier uh, than uh, that. They the first one was in Maryland in 1972, I think. And despite lobbying from the police unions, uh, it took a while to spread around the country. More of them uh, were gradually adopted, as well as parallel laws for prison guards, uh, correctional officers, Bill of Rights, which produced many of the same problems. And by this point, we're up to 15 or 16 laws. Uh, they aren't always called law enforcement officers, Bill of Rights. California, I think, calls it peace officers. And among the states that have them, I can't remember offhand the full list, but among the states that have them are Minnesota, uh, where uh, George Floyd died in police custody, and Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was shot in her apartment. Again, some of the states that have had the uh, most serious public controversies over uh, police use of force are states where this has been in uh, in, uh, uh, in place. Now, Maryland, of course, is another of those with the Freddie Gray incident in 2015. Uh, the Maryland law restricted investigation into uh, exactly what happened to Freddie Gray. It delayed things. It meant that the, uh, they couldn't um, uh, proceed as effectively with the investigation. And it blew up into uh, a tremendous scandal. Now, it's not the only one. Baltimore has also had the uh, gun 
Trace Task Force scandal in which there was lots of illegality, very serious illegality. Um, again, harder to investigate, harder to prove, though they did eventually prove it. What should be the standard here? I, I understand that cops have a, a difficult job and it is already difficult for police to investigate themselves when they are accused of crimes. It seems like the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights makes it harder to do that, to do those kinds of investigations. But it, it, should the standard just be, hey, you're, you're a civilian uh, protector and the standard is the same for everybody else? Police should be held to at least as high a standard as the rest of us and as other public service employees. Uh, they should not, I think, be allowed to make up new rules uh, that we would never expect uh, public nurses or public sanitation workers accused of misconduct uh, to um, uh, have. And I don't know what the perfect methods of um, connecting misconduct to uh, police jobs are. Uh, and it may be that it, they differ from one place to another. But laws like this rule some things off the table. For example, a uh, typical feature of Leoper is that the whole process has to be done by police themselves. You can't have non-sworn officers making the decisions either as investigator or as decision maker. Now, that rules out, of course, various versions of civilian review boards, but it also rules out other possible formats uh, for investigation when something has gone wrong, like bringing in a retired judge or bringing in some eminent person from the community who is respected by all sides. Can't do that. Got to use sworn officers to do the investigation and the later decision-making in some of these states. So again, I'm not saying there's one best way, but we know that Leo rules out a lot of promising ways. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>